0: Incoming transmission from the Babylon Project. Welcome to the Babylon Project, our last best hope for trash this is a rewatch podcast for babylon 5 featuring three friends stuck in the wilderness of season 5 my name is justin and i'm here to help me along are my co-host jude nana jude Anna, how you doing welcome to 2022 yeah this is um uh, this is a momentous uh recording uh it is our first recording of 2022 uh it's our first recording in like a month and it's my first uh recording with a new mic
1: it's all very exciting. I mean, 2022 I think it's is funny that, that it'll
2: exciting. be like halfway to the halfway to 2023 by the time people hear this. But well, um,
1: our our backlog's not that big at this point.
2: Yeah, I guess our backlog's not quite as big. It's only like 15 episodes. Now or 12, 11. 12? Yeah. Okay. O- only half as many episodes as my other podcast has
0: or something like that.
1: I think, well, actually, no. I think we're, because this is 55.
0: And we were, and we released 43 today.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, tw- 12 episodes. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. So uh, 44, anyway. Maybe.
0: It's 11 or it's 12. It's still funny. It's three months.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's still funny. You know, welcome to another year of, of COVID. Uh, same as the last two years of COVID. Uh, except now it's got a different name.
0: Yep. Blah, blah, blah. It, it now sounds like something that JMS would have uh implemented in one of his bad spider-man plots
2: <laughs> yeah or or <laughs> the name of an alien species in Babylon 5 I had to, the omicron definitely could have been on the league of non-aligned worlds
0: I I had to read a summary of uh Sid's past to properly explain to somebody it God, JMS, like I love how much you hate
2: JMS's Spider-Man comics. I really do. It has
0: like it has two stories that are like uniquely bad. I
2: appreciate I appreciate that you will never let him up off the mat for that. I mean, I will There are some things I I I can't let go of and I appreciate that that is that is one of your hills to die on. And, and I respect your right to die there. If
0: I meet JMS effort, like, listen, I know he's an, I know he's an old man now, but I'm going to suplex that motherfucker for what he's done to my life. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Look, I feel the exact same way about Kevin J. Anderson. So, uh, you know, everybody's got their thing.
0: All right. Today, everything's going to hell. But, like, in a less fun way than, like, when it happened in Season 3. Yeah,
1: these are not fun
0: hells. These are, like... These are, like, Catholic hells.
1: These are hells
2: that
0: I'm not 100% certain JMS intended us to go to. All right, so tonight we're covering two episodes. Those are Episodes 9 and 10 of Season 5, In the Kingdom of the Blind, and A Tragedy of Telepaths. Um, I can tell from the word length and lack of capitalization that Jude got episode nine. So take us away. We can go to hell for you. I am in hell. We're doing these episodes. Capital letters. Capital
2: letters are a tyranny of the shift key users. Um.
0: <laughs> all right. Oh yes, us bourgeoisie with our store bought ca- uh, capital letters. That's right. <laughs>
2: Our episode opens on a nightmare scenario. Garibaldi is being good at his job and inoffensive at the same time. Uh, And I guess also every planet in the Alliance is being attacked on their shipping lanes. And no one is obviously to blame. And thanks to laws and shit, they have to disclose that to the new members of the Alliance within 24 hours, which is going to be a shit show. Uh, And that's bad, I guess. Sheridan seems distressed. But mostly it's the Garibaldi thing. Uh, After the still nightmarishly bad credits roll, we arrive on Centauri Prime to find Londo arriving to the shocked muttering of the royal court thanks to his new bodyguard slash boyfriend, Jakar, in tow. Some unnamed racist functionary sneers about putting him in chains, but Londo cheerfully informs him of the situation, then saunters off to find his room, leaving Jakar to inquire after the time of dinner, causing further gasps. In his chambers... Londo welcomes an old friend named Giano and asks after the regent. Apparently, the poor old fellow has been in seclusion, and gossip is that the staff has been finding him wandering the halls at night, wailing and crying and talking to himself. Apparently, he even asked guard to kill him while drunk, which Londo finds odd since Verini was known for his sobriety, a bit of an odd thing to cultivate amongst the royal court. Giano tells him that the regent has reclassified a bunch of information pertaining to fleet deployments and de- and development, ore, grain, etc. as top secret. He is glad Londo's there so that he can speak to the regent where Jono cannot. Returning to his quarters, Jono finds the lights non-functioning. And the regent is in his quarters. The regent babbles about pastel curtains and reminisces about Jono as a youth, then says if it were his decision, he'd never let anyone hurt Jono. But it's not his decision, just as he watches an unseen figure chuck Jono into a wall like a khaki sack. Back at the station, Sheridan concludes an alliance meeting and casually mentions an updated report on shipping lane security that has been sent to them. It's no big deal, don't worry about it, don't even read it, it's fine! Just throws it out with the trash at the end of the meeting. Meanwhile, back on Centauri Prime... Londo arrives at court the next morning and asks after the regent, then Jano. The racist butt from the first scene, who is apparently named Vitari, tells him the regent is not well, but told him to convey his well wishes. And as for Jano, he doesn't know, but he'll look into it. Screams collaborator. After Vitari leaves, another minister steps forward to angrily demand that Londo stop the games and get rid of Jakar. He says Jakar is an insult and a threat. Jakar handles the scene perfectly. He's a gentleman and a scholar and suave as fuck. The minister, however, isn't done. He trots out the guard who whipped Jakar, still carrying the whip. He says he'll give him carte blanche to do whatever he wants to him. Jakar is just golden, uh, handling himself with grace and eloquence, even going so far as to blow a kiss to a Centauri lady, and refuses to do anything to the guard, instead simply... Referring to the guard as merely the hand that did the deed, not the heart. Uh, just then, Vitari rushes in and whispers to Londo that they should come with him. He has discovered Jono hanging from the rafters. Neither Londo nor Jakar believe it's suicide. In Londo's quarters, Londo complains about Jakar's frequent eating. If you've never heard an old married couple have this argument before, I don't know what to tell you. But they are interrupted when Vitari arrives to tell them the regent will see Londo now. Londo leads them to the regent's quarters, and along the way, they are waylaid in a darkly lit and ominous-as-fuck corridor. Jakar stops three assassins from killing Londo, but they are separated by a weirdly big, like, JRPG-ass door that just, like, slams down in the middle of a corridor. This looks like a scene...
1: It's like a freaking airlock.
2: No, this looks like a scene from Final Fantasy... Where you're traveling down a hall and then this big like stone door comes down with like the grinding sound effect. It's a weird fucking scene.
0: I mean, there's an easy explanation for this. Obviously, like like Centauri architects are incredibly genre aware. They know exactly what's going <laughs> down in the castle. They're like, do we need a large stone door that can swing down at a moment to cut off a bodyguard from their charge? Absolutely. Think of the drama. And they're like and and the Centauri Emperor is just like yeah okay I can't <laughs>
2: I, I can't argue with
0: that you mean I can't, you mean I have to pay you for this you're like this is great I, I I I I this is perfect I love it
2: yes I want this do it so Jakar is cut off from Londo and alone Londo faces the asteporous old git of a Centauri who paraded the literal whipping boy earlier in the episode who says that Londo has, is in the way of his ambitions and throws a knife at Londo. The knife stops midair, turns around, and returns to sender, killing him.
0: I've activated my trap guard.
2: <laughs> Return yeah.
0: knife.
2: This scene is is a thing. Uh, we'll talk about it. Londo is, to put it very mildly, fucking flabbergasted.
1: And then we have the Doctor Who crossover. God.
2: Yeah, he turns around and sees... It's a member of the silence. Uh, an it's alien a of the silence. It looks like somebody described both the alien, the blurry alien from last season, and the silent split the difference and then put real bright ele- red LEDs in the eyes. <laughs> um, the door comes up to reveal Jakar finishing the original Assassins, and when Londo looks back at the alien... There's just a wall. There's no door. They flee before more can arrive. Uh Lando and Jakar confront Vitari over his role in setting them up. Uh and he says, I had nothing to do with it. It was just convenient that the regent told me to send you there, and blah, blah, blah. And uh they while they accuse him of collaborating with the now dead minister, Minister Vol, apparently, which is a fucking <laughs> weird name, uh, a hand behind him like gestures very aggressively from around the corner. So they blow him off and follow it. Uh, Londo leaves Jakar standing outside of the throne room and follows and goes in to find the regent. The regent tells him that they saved him because they like him and they think they have a lot in common with him. He also says to stop looking into the ships and supplies that are missing. Then the regent dismisses him saying, we will speak one more time before the end. After Malari leaves... Verini looks into the shadows and sees yet another weird fucking alien staring at him, different from the red bug eye alien. He says, I didn't say anything, as a Centauri tentacle wraps around his throat and starts to choke him. I want to be clear, this would be as if a giant penis came out of your coat and wrapped around (laughs) your your throat.
0: I've read that. I've read that.
2: I don't (laughs) doubt that. I'm just pointing out that it's one thing for a weird tentacle to wrap around your or my throat. That would be something that you would read in certain kinds of, of fan fiction. But for it to happen to a Centauri, it has a way different connotation that I, I'm not entirely sure JMS thought all the way through. <laughs> That's what we're for.
0: I don't think JMS ever thought as much about like the <laughs>
2: Centauri dicks as I have. Clearly not.
0: Considering his costumers like thought about it more than he yeah. did. <laughs>
2: Hmm. Uh, you know what, JMS, call me. I got you. Um, In bed, Londo says to Jakar, I want to point something out about this scene. It is very ambiguous where Jakar is in this scene. Londo is clearly on one side of the bed. Jakar, it's never clear where Jakar is. Is he on the floor? Is he on the other side of the bed? It's not clear. I'm just throwing that out there. Londo tells Jakar that they will be going back to B5 in the morning, despite having scheduled to stay for a month. He says that even during Cartagena's reign, he wasn't afraid of the palace like he is now. He muses in the dark, uh, wondering what they are doing with the ships. Uh, We fade out and see that it's Centauri ships that are causing all the trouble in the shipping lanes. Believe it or not, that's just the A plot. This is a busy (laughs) episode. Buckle up. We're not done yet. Uh, I'm going to take a deep breath and I swear I'm going to get through this B plot quick. In our B-plot, which I'm giving the subtitle the worst post-not clarity of all time, Byron remains pissed as shit at the discovery that the telepaths were engineered to be used by other races as weapons against the shadows. I'm honestly unclear on why that in particular is his beef. I get that it's traumatic, but the specific like nature of his complaint is weird to me. Uh, and clearly to Lita as well, who protests, somewhat feebly, that the Vorlons are gone. So what gives? What gives, Byron explains, is a new course that may be dangerous. As the delegates leave the previously mentioned meeting, where Sheridan just casually mentions that their ships are being shot up, they are not at all discreetly followed by some telepaths who report to Byron. He tells Lita that he's going to need her in the next 24 hours, and she seems weirdly, like, still into him. Despite the extremely sketchy end of the last episode, where she, like, ended up clutching the sheet while he ranted and raved and kicked pillows in a little weird fit after they had sex. Uh, he goes to talk to Garibaldi and asks to talk to the council. Garibaldi wants to know what about. Uh, they argue and Byron scans him super ethically and makes up some bullshit about the shipping lane stuff to get Garibaldi to let him in. In the council chamber, Byron immediately ditches all that stuff about the shipping lanes and goes into his pitch, laying out his information about the Vorlon engineering telepaths, and more or less demands a homeworld. When his arguments are not immediately met with sympathy, he lays out his threat. If they don't receive the homeworld they want, they're going to release the secrets his telepaths have been scanning out of the council's heads for two days. Garibaldi, in Sheridan's office shortly thereafter, is predictably pissed, which amuses me. Delenn is apparently the only person in the room with any piece of fucking... Empathy or a soul at all suggests that maybe they have a fucking point in wanting their own world and not being, you know, a fucking slave. Just throwing it out there Uh, to which Sheridan says, well, yeah, but this is a bummer, mom. She gently points out that he was exactly the same kind of a bummer to Clark, uh, which Sheridan doesn't take kindly to. Sheridan says that at least it hasn't gotten violent, which is the kind of thing you say and then someone hits you upside the head and tells you not to jinx it, which is promptly what happens. Uh, not the slapping, but the jinxing. Uh, sure enough, in the telepath layer, Byron is trying to keep his people in line when one of them, he discovers one of them has gone out for supplies and promptly gets jumped by a bunch of, I think they're drowsy? Yeah. Doesn't matter. They get jumped, his, his people go out to save the Drazi and in turn beat the shit out of the drowsy. Uh, that are jumping his telepath. Byron looks on telepathically in horror at the violence. Uh, He tells his followers that they're going to wall themselves into their little sector, uh, weld up the doors and the the air vents, and just wait and hope for cooler heads to prevail. But some of his followers aren't on board with this plan. uh, And they leave, saying that they're going to take more direct action. In the Alliance Council Chamber, Sheridan is sitting by himself looking contemplative and sad, which is funny, when Zack finds him. It seems that the League debated the telepath problem and, for the first time ever, were united in their resolve that something must be done. On top of this, the captain—I can't remember her name, but apparently there's a captain on this station? Go figure— uh, who apparently didn't like the idea of a colony to to begin with, was sent to, by Zack to ask Sheridan to revoke his protection of the colony— so she can do something about them. Again, I don't remember the captain's name. Lockley. I don't know if either of you two do. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it was something like that. Like with an L and it was maybe a woman. I don't remember. For some reason, I hear a German accent in my head. I don't know. It's weird. Anyway, he muses that maybe they do owe the telepaths more than the slum to hide in from the psychor. no shit, John. But we sure can't do anything till they're all in jail. We're gonna talk about this a little bit in a minute. John. Uh, Byron, meanwhile, has welded the door shut and tells Lita that you don't have to stay, but she decides to. Later in bed, they listen as Zach on the speaker tells them that they cannot promise anything if they don't surrender and specifically asks Lita to come out, which is weird. Byron tells her that she could go, and she says she doesn't want to. He tells her that she must go. In the future when he tells her to leave him. And that's the episode. This episode's a fucking doozy. Um pros. Londo and Jakar are adorable, and watching everyone, Centauri, human, narn flirt with Jakar, always yeah. a treat.
1: The the little like kiss-kiss thing that he yeah. does
2: is to that one oh Centauri God. lady. It's so good. Yes. Choice. Uh cons. Why the fuck? Can the Babylon 5 Council not get that telepaths are fucking humans and deserve to be treated like that? The fact that Sheridan is, like, I guess they might have human rights, maybe. Even though they've been super helpful and maybe won the war for me.
0: Well, you see, the problem is is that they're inconveniencing us now by existing.
1: (laughs) Yep.
2: They are literally asking pick a random uninhabited rock with a bit of oxygen on it and let us go there. They aren't even asking for, like, a place where other people are. They are asking permission for something that is in the bylaws of the Alliance. The Alliance says specifically that the that EarthGov has to let the colonies form their own governments if they want to. So, And Sheridan is like,
0: Maybe not. You're telepath. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, Sheridan can get. I mean, fuck. the The problem is, is that okay. So I'm trying to rationalize this because it makes no sense. But the answer is, is that we wanted a telepath war. We seeded it in this in the weird season four episode. So it's going to happen. And yeah, I mean. Oh, and it's bad. It's bad his, writing. I'm going to say like Sheridan and Lockley. I mean, this is Sheridan. This is Sheridan failing. Like this is. Yeah, he is. This is like the first problem for the Alliance. And not only did he like stumble, he like he didn't like he didn't like stumble and fall. He like just went straight, like standing to ninety degree, like face turn, breaking his nose, fall, and his like first.
2: He's blowing it like a Vuvuzela at a fucking World Cup match. There, man.
1: there was he's, there was a pair. There was a set of stairs in there somewhere that he tumbled yeah. down.
2: Yeah, he's going straight down them.
1: No, he's. Hey, but here's the thing.
2: It's bad writing. I stand. I stand by that statement. It makes it. Yeah. But also. It's consistent with how shitty Sheridan has been about acknowledging telepaths as, like, worthy of humanitarian aid his entire career.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: He has been garbage to them the entire time he's been on the station. He was, like, annoyed about Franklin running the the telepath, uh, the, the Underground Railroad through Babylon 5 before. Yeah. He's used Lita... Whenever she's whenever convenient, but like openly threatened to send her in a body bag back to the Psycor when she's when she dared to overstep her bounds with him. Like John kind of hates telepaths, I think. Like this is my analysis is that John is kind of a closet telepath racist.
1: Well, I think I think a lot of humans are because like the Psycor has fostered that. Well,
2: yeah. When you have people like Bester out there, not presenting the best picture of the, right, the core, right?
1: And like that's, I think that that's something that the Psycor and Bester in particular have been like encouraging people to hate yeah. telepaths to use that hatred for their own ends.
0: Yeah, they yeah. the the wants to wants humans to hate telepaths so they can create the us and them mentality. And all I've got to say for 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 like. John Sheridan can thank his lucky stars that Byron is the least effectual person in existence.
2: He's a cardboard standy with a nice wig staple to it.
0: Yeah, no. If like, <laughs> God forbid, this dude get like,
1: because if if Lita was the one who was actually in charge here,
0: yeah, John Sheridan would fold like a like a bad poker hand if okay. like a Magneto was here. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, God help him! If there was someone with any charisma, like imagine if the roles were reversed and the other British actor with with nice hair were playing Byron, yeah. he'd be fucked. If Marcus were the were the telepath, were the charismatic telepathic leader instead of Byron, Jesus, God! If Susan was the
0: one leading the charge,
2: or Talia, ooh, yeah. Talia and Susan.
0: Yeah. I think it might be the failing of this season is that like instead of having Lita be the the face of the revolution, that there's another character introduced.
1: She's she's the girlfriend of the revolution instead.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Because she could be like, you know what? I'm I've been through some shit, and like yeah. I can be the pe peop- the person who we rally around, and she would have the knowledge of like tactics and stuff like that too from being around. all of the shit that she's been around. Yeah.
2: I just hate how badly this show treats Leah. Yeah. And I hate how badly Sheridan treats telepaths because it is, I want to say it's wildly out of character for him, but it's not.
0: Like he he treats- Like the only reason he really goes up against Bester is because he thinks it's fun to like screw with Bester. Yeah.
1: And because he cares about Ivanova specifically. Yeah. Yeah. But Ivanova also is like not a- Like, she's not a, air quotes, real telepath, like, that she's not a threat.
2: Yeah. It's either really good writing or it's a mix of consistent and bad writing. But the result is I don't like, I haven't liked Sheridan much at all this season. I haven't liked Mm -hmm. Sheridan in a while, but he's real unlikable this season. And I'm not enjoying that. I miss season
1: two, Sheridan. I mean, I'm going
0: to be real honest. Apart from, like, Jakar. There isn't a lot of there isn't there isn't a lot of people I want to get behind this season.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's there's like there's really like nobody on B5 that I'm like wanting to get behind cheering for. I mean, even even I mean, I mean, no, 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 I will say this. Uh, DeleN has been like. Like the voice of reason and the actual like beating heart and morale, like morality on the station. Everybody else sort of sucks.
2: Yeah, yeah. Delenn and Jakar are the only reason B5 remains a beacon of light and not a, you know, yet another
1: cesspool. Yeah. And Corwin.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, bless. Corwin, Corwin hasn't shown up in a while. No, I mean, he did show up last episode. It's yeah. just been a month since I, we recorded last. I yeah. Mean, yeah. I mean, okay. Can, okay, now we're going to say this. If we want to interpret this in good faith, what JMS has done. And says, "I'm going to create the Federation," and he says, "The Federation is going to immediately suck." <laughs> and you know what? It's not like there's a light at the end of the tunnel here. Yeah, it's just that it's just that like people suck. And I mean,
2: I mean, we've seen that it does suck. We've seen what happens. We watched the finale of season four, where yeah, the Alliance will persist for a while, and then nuke humans will then nuke Earth into. into the fucking middle ages
0: yeah i think i think my thing here is that like i don't hate season five because it's okay like i'm gonna say this now is like i think i think i'm fully on board of like no i'm not enjoying season five anymore or at least not like not like like i'm not having as much fun as i had with the previous seasons because it's not because like the writing has taken like a huge dip i think it's like better overall than like most of season one on like an episode by episode basis of like
1: the average is but the average is higher
0: the average is higher but as a consistent whole it is comparatively to like say season 3 and 4 it has nothing to say yeah yeah i think
2: that's the difference between season 5 and season 1 is season 1 has ambition and vision and it's trying to go somewhere it it has a drive and season 5 is so here's a, there's a parable, not a parable, there's a story that Tolkien went back after he'd published The Lord of the Rings and wrote a story called The New Shadow, wherein uh, years after the death of Aragorn, a literal new shadow arises to hassle Gondor in the time of his grandson. And he wrote a letter to his editor about it and then followed up that letter with, I put it aside because it was too fucking depressing. Like, it was dumb. I don't know why I started it. Nobody wants this. Nobody wants to see this. Season five of Babylon 5 is the new shadow.
0: So I actually wanted to talk about another Tolkien thing that I, that I often hear season five compared to. Sure. Which is the scouring of the Shire. Which Interesting. For, Interesting. I mean, I've heard that compared. I've heard multiple yeah. people talk to me and say season five is like people who tend to like think of season five more mm-hmm. positively. Have described it as the scouring of the Shire for Babylon Five. Uh, for for those of you who like, for those of our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with Lord of the Rings, because it is the thing that is left out of the movies, the scouring of the Shire occurs after the hobbits go home, um, and they find that Saruman, who did not die by falling onto a spike in randomly, um, has taken up residence in the Shire. And the hobbits have to band together and drive drive him out.
2: He's industrialized it. It's all yeah. F- yeah. factories. It's a not so subtle jibe about the the industrialization of of England. Yeah, he's in, it, it, the, He's industrialized the Shire, and uh, the returning hobbits uh, do a little insurrection mm-hmm. and uh, overthrow Saruman and uh, Grima Wormtongue. And uh, one one of their Hobbit co- collaborators, and rapidly retake the Shire. I I think maybe they mean that like, in terms of like tonally, it, uh, like thematically, not at all. Yeah. But like,
0: I, I think that like some people are like, I think I think the scouring of the sh-
2: like a bummer fucking Denoumont maybe I don't know I,
0: I, uh, like they're thinking like it, it's compared to denouement, but like. And I, I th- and some people are willing to like sort of like forget the scouring of the Shire. It, it's it's sort of like it's it's sort of yeah. a if it had been.
1: I think I think a lot of people felt like put it into the Tom Bombadil zone. Yeah, but it's not yeah. because it's actually like it's an important
0: thematic thing that yeah. Tolkien is like real like this is what Tolkien is trying to say is like the yeah. scouring of the Shire is a really important thing about what Tolkien's trying to say here, and the difference between the scouring of the Shire. And season five, the wheel of fire, at least so far through nine episodes, is that the wheel of fire has absolutely nothing that it wants to say.
2: Yeah, yeah. no, I, I 100% agree. And that's why I called it the the new shadow, not the not yeah. the scouring. Yeah that,
0: yeah, that was just like that was the thing I was thinking of because I'd heard it yeah. referenced. And I like it's right. It's just like it's. Oh, my God, you know what this is? This is George R, R. Martin's like legendary post about Aragorn's tax policies made into a TV show.
2: <laughs> Don't get me started on George
0: like,
1: R. R.
2: Martin sh- and,
0: like, and yeah, Tolkien. No, I, I, like that specific thing is just like it's a shitty thing that does, that like is being facetious on purpose. Yeah.
1: Well, if, yeah. So if we're if we're going to approach this in good faith, um, yeah. I think that one of the things that you could kind of validly take out of this is that maybe people who were military leaders are not. Going to be good civilian leaders uh, winning was easy,
0: young man, governing's hard being- that is very valid
1: um that I think that that's one of the reasons that John is shitty at being president of the alliance is that he thinks like a military commander, yeah, yeah, and that's not the that's not the the Dylan should be the president, Delenn is the one with the skill set here,
0: yeah, yeah. We can point to something specifically in the next episode of this is how a military leader operates, not how a politician who's supposed to be representing the interests of other
1: people should be acting. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm not honestly.
2: I'm not sure though that good faith is the way to look at this because I I really do think that the problem with this season has more to do with the technical issues having to do with the the season the the season herky jerk that happened with four and five. Yeah. Yeah. Because I really do think that the problem with season five is that this was supposed to be a five-season arc. It was cinched into a four-season arc, and then the fifth season was tacked back on. Because the fifth season feels like its meaning was scraped out of it. And all that's left is a bunch of ideas that were left behind after the the narrative arc of the show was pulled out, was deboned out mm-hmm.
0: of it. Yeah. When we're saying good faith, like it's like we're not saying, like, no,
2: I I get what you're saying. I'm saying, I think, I think the, I think a lot of the things that are wrong with the season aren't because Sheridan's trying or because JMS is trying to say that Sheridan is a military leader that shouldn't be a civilian leader. I think it's that he's flailing to find things for Sheridan to do because there's nothing for him to do now that there's no, uh, epic. Mythical right. plot for him to, to get to be busy with.
0: But Jude. The author is dead. We strangled him in his sleep. With there is tentacle. only what we take out of this now with a tentacle. <laughs> the only um, one, we killed him with a dick tentacle. The Do we want to talk about Jakar Lando? Well,
1: I, I <laughs> like, wanted to say I, I wanted to say one more thing about yeah. the like whole thing with Byron here. Um because we get a lot of like like we have Byron storming into the council chambers and being like, Give us a colony for all telepaths from every species. And this is, I think, one of the places where Byron goes wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's one of his missteps is that if he'd said, Give us a colony, you know, an asteroid or whatever, for telepaths from human or whoever else wants to come, and, you know, we'll make a society there. But he's, he. He has the audacity to speak on behalf of all telepaths from every species. Yeah. Where humans have a extremely different relationship yeah. to telepaths. Like I'm pretty sure that basically any Mimbari telepath listening to Byron speak is going to be like up yours, buddy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Yeah, the like I looked at, I looked at like the wiki just because I'm like I can't remember like Minbari telepaths are like respected. They are they're Yeah, they're revered. Like, they're like truth seekers. And, yeah, and then there's is, like this the Centauri who have like, oh yeah, we have a guild of telepaths. They're treated like a profession.
1: Yeah, and, yeah, and and like from everything we've seen, every other species, at least at this point in their development, treats telepaths wildly differently from humans. That yeah. there there isn't the the whole thing of the psychor. and it's like Byron is rebelling against the psychor, and he's rebelling against the. Vorlons being the Vorlons and like he's dragging everybody else into it, and that's where he fucks up. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, well, I don't know if, if that's what sets the 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 alliance against him, but it certainly doesn't. I mean,
1: help. The, also also the blackmail part. Um, yeah, that doesn't help.
2: Blackmail doesn't help. Yeah.
1: I always I always like look at this, and I'm like, what audacity?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, really, realistically, if they're like. If there was anybody of like who had any sense of self righteousness on this council, like the things that like John gets on like other species about, like they should be getting on Earth for, honestly, it's
2: yeah. just like yeah.
0: you have an entire section of your government that like you know like enslaves and or sterilizes people. <laughs>
1: And or forcefully breeds them.
0: Yeah, might be
2: a human rights violation, yeah. buddies.
0: Um, like the CyCor is very against like any sort of declaration of human rights.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like the CyCor is horrible.
0: Yeah, and but this is it's just like sort of like
1: the way that Byron kind of projects the CyCor onto the entire galaxy. Yeah, is very uncomfortable to me. Yeah,
0: no, yeah. it's it's very much he is like he's making sweeping generalizations and this is a, this is a problem that stems from the fact that after earth, you know, overthrew a fascist dictatorship, they did nothing to clean house. Yep. And so they just fall back into this and I, it's messy. It's not particularly well done. And how did ultimate X-Men do this better? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like for 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 reference, in in the Ultimate Universe of Marvel, um, it is revealed ninety something issues into their X Men run. It's it, the Ultimate Universe was a like. Let's just let let's skip
2: yeah. Ultimate X Men and talk about Jakar and Londo. Oh, we're no, already no. an hour I'm into this it's recording. Like, they
0: learned that like mutants were created by people as a weapons experiment, and like that handles this better. Like they like. And it's not good.
2: It's not those good. comics are not good.
0: I will go to bat for some of them in a very weird way, but like, it's not great. It's like, no. and, but like, even like, you know, yeah. even there we get like resolution of like, oh yeah, no, we recognize this is fucked up. We have a cure for you if you want it, if you, and you could go back to a normal life or like, we will make reparations for people who wish to continue to be mutants. And it's yeah. like, that is better than this. <laughs> yeah. Ultimate X-Men. <laughs> God. It's um, a low bar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my favorite part of
2: the Jakar and Lando stuff, aside from the un the uh, the amb- ambiguity as to where Jakar is sleeping at the end of the episode, which I love, and I, they can't have been doing that accidentally, is in the scene where Uh, v- Vitari comes to tell them that the Regent wants to see them. Londo goes out first, and then Jakar goes by, and as he as he goes past Vitari, he does a little that probably didn't pick up on the mic but he does this little like this little growl this little like as he goes by and God help me it has to have been improvised I can't fathom I can't fathom jms is cool enough to put that in the script
1: my my other favorite thing which had to be it had to have been scripted with jakar I mean other than the like kiss kiss
0: yeah
1: is the the point where like after Londo explains that Jakar is his bodyguard and stuff like that, and that that like one minister is like bur, 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 bur. all of the like women go over to Jakar and start petting his coat.
2: Yeah. And he's fine and with
1: like, it. And like and I think it's not just women, like people are just like going over there and petting his coat. And it's hilarious because like honestly, it kind of makes sense because A, it's a fantastic coat. And B, I can absolutely see like the Centauri are quite fashion obsessed, right?
2: I don't think it's the coat that they want to touch.
1: I mean, but I could I can see the the Centauri being like you like super into fashion and being like, Wow, this is so so novel and so pretty and like I mean also there's the animal magnetism of Jakarta. Yeah. yeah,
2: it's it's the animal magnetism. That's my final answer. I think they just were just
0: My low-key favorite part of the Centauri part of this episode is Lord Jono's voice, which I'm pretty sure is the lowest we've ever had a Centauri voice on the show. Jono
2: is the best Centauri. Like, he's completely unpretentious, except that he's like, it's nice to have you here. It'll be nice to have, like, a second person that is, like, reasonably sane, and he doesn't seem like a prick. It's weird. And he has like this very low, very resonant voice. It's very weird.
0: He feels like a very like uncentari centauri. And also yeah. I'm like I am ninety percent sure that he and Lando have fucked. <laughs> they have extreme ex energy, like jovial ex energy, but like, yeah. I this is this is what I'm going with. I'm taking this to my grave.
1: Part of, part of that yeah. dueling club.
0: Yeah. Um are we done with this episode? Should we move on to the next one? Um, I do want to say that the that the second shadow alien that we see, uh, the, the second al- shadow alien we see, looks like a Buffy monster. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. And, and, that's a good way of describing that costume.
0: Yeah. Because they use two different aliens in this episode. One is the silence, and the other is like a random season three Buffy monster.
2: Yeah, just a... Uh, just an ambiguous rubber testicle mask <laughs> Buffy alien. Yep. Yep. Oh. All right. All, all right.
1: right. Uh, so season five, episode 10, A Tragedy of Telepaths, written by JMS. Who else? And directed by Tony Dow. So we've got three plots this time. Um, Not like the two from last time, but they're all pretty separate. So that makes the summary a little bit easier. Uh, plot A is the continuation of the telepaths arc. Lockley starts off the episode with a personal log musing on how she's going to solve the situation, uh, followed by her heading down to Brown Sector, where security and maintenance are trying to burn through to where the telepaths have sequestered themselves. It's been slow going since they can sense where security is working and send images into the workers' minds to disrupt them and also reinforce the bulkhead. Zack presents her with another option. One person could go in through the air ducts. Lockley volunteers, partly at Byron's telepathic suggestion. Lockley prepares to go into the ducts, and Sheridan and Garibaldi discuss the fact that the real threat here isn't the telepaths locked in Brown's sector, but rather the ones locked out. Once Lockley makes her way through, she tries to convince Byron to stand down uh, or risk his people dying when security breaks through. He refuses, and also refuses to give Lockley information on who's still outside. When Lockley questions why the hell she's even there, Byron explains that he wanted to say goodbye. The two shake hands, and Lockley leaves through the ducts again. Once she gets out, she promptly calls Bester, uh, who arrives with his standard shit-eating grin, ready to roll up his sleeves and solve this crisis. Lockley promises that if Bester can get the telepaths out safely, he can have them. The Telpaz, both inside and outside Brown Sector, also note his arrival, and realize that the Bloodhound units can't be far behind. The outside Telpaz take the only option they see as available to them at this point, and go on the offensive. They steal PPG rifles from the security armory and open fire, killing the maintenance worker and a security goon, but leaving Bester unharmed. Bester shrugs off the deaths of the P5 personnel, saying that they're not his people, and explaining that his people are the ones behind the wall and firing the guns. But what is family without some strife? Behind the wall, Byron is upset about Telpaz killing in the name of their cause, and apparently is coming up with some sort of plan. And the Bloodhound units arrive on the station. The B-plot is back on Centauri Prime, where Londo is doing some forensic accounting, and Jakar is enjoying what appears to be a bowl of runny yogurt, uh, but apparently is fresh Spoo. As part of their banter, Jakar realizes that the existence of the spoo here, since Centauri apparently only eat it aged, means that there's at least one other Narn, and they take off toward the old cells to try to figure out what's going on. They discover that Natoth has been held there since the first wave of the Centauri attack on Narn. Londo realizes that she's probably there by royal order that got forgotten about, and that he can't do anything legally, to free her until he's Emperor himself. Jakar, however, pushes for them to come up with a way to free her now, because waiting until Londo's Emperor is not a feasible solution. The two of them arrange for transport for her back to Narn after they leave Centauri Prime, but escaping unnoticed will be the hard part. Inspiration strikes when a Centauri woman arrives in Londo's quarters with a message about ship schedules to be five. Londo asks to borrow her dress, and she agrees, although she notes that the, lo- the dress isn't Londo's size.
2: You're leaving out a lot. I can't wait to talk about this section yeah. in the discussion, because you're you're leaving out some content yes, here. Yes, see,
1: I I try to summarize the basic events of the episode with the realization that we will discuss them afterward. Yes. No comment. Anyway, the the dress provides the cover that they need to get Nyctoth out, out of the palace, uh, Lando convinces the security guard that they're about to murder Ntoth, um, and to, you know, fuck off and go guard something else. Natoth puts on the dress in a very opaque veil. Lando spritzes them all with a bunch of liquor and grabs the bottle and then makes a big performance about heading back to the station for a passionate time with his new lover. Everybody is so embarrassed by the scene that nobody stops to ask who this lover is or why she's veiled. The ruse is a success, and as Natath begins her journey back to Narn, Londo remarks that he was invigorated by the performance. Well, Jakar is just tired. Meanwhile, in the sea plot, things are brewing in the Alliance. Ships from a few different races are being attacked, and materials from each other's ships are being found in the wreckage. So now, the Drazi are accusing the Brakiri of aggression, and the Brakiri are accusing the game, and the game are accusing the Drazi. The circle of life.
2: Wouldn't that be the circle of death?
1: That too.
0: The circle of piracy?
1: <laughs> uh, CSI B5 has determined, however, that the ship debris was not from explosions, but rather from careful cuts. The evidence was planted. Sheridan tries to convince the various ambassadors that this is clearly a ploy to get them to turn against each other, and to work with him and each other to figure out what the fuck is going on. They refuse, however, and in particular the Drazi are prepared to destroy any ship that crosses into their space without proper authorization. In the next meeting, they've Of the ambassadors, however, Sheridan shows that there are white stars watching the borders, prepared to intervene if necessary, uh, since everybody has signed a charter saying that they can't attack other alliance races. This is not a popular solution. The ambassadors consider this to be a violation of their sovereign rights, but they agree to give Sheridan more time to figure out what's going on. The drowsy ambassador warns Sheridan that, uh, like Telltale Games characters, the ambassadors will remember this and that the threat to use force against them will come back to bite Sheridan in the ass. There are a lot of details that I have left out that we can I now discuss. I wanted to say, well, hold on. I, no, I,
0: let's I, just start with, God, the ambassadors are stupid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're so dumb. It's like, Sheridan's like, here's this evidence that, like, here here's evidence that all of this was clearly planned. And they're like, Nah. Fake news, I, man. I, I really like one of the things that like, are they stupid really, or
2: are they Republicans?
0: I mean, what I find really frustrating is that like none of the none of the minor races have like their ambassadors like they're like it's they're all so one dimensional. Uh, uh, like I said, it's, it's I mean that, we know like, they have sense not for the changed. Drowsy. Like yeah, I mean it's just mostly just like that they have not changed a single bit. Now that they're in the alliance and like they don't recognize that they actually have rules that they have to follow and that there are like procedures and stuff and I'm just like it's like I said
2: I I want you to imagine
1: I fe- I feel like the Drazi are like the the instigators here
2: any of the any member any Republican senator I mean in the in the role of any of these alien ambassadors and suddenly they're like, no, I'm pretty sure that it's actually wreckage and I should shoot somebody Yeah, is like they would have just shot someone anyway.
0: I'm also going to say however, that John Sheridan is doing this like a fucking idiot.
2: Well, of course he is. He's an idiot. He's trying. He's he's he's
0: itching to commit a war crime, but now he's not allowed. Well, I mean, there's two things. One that he decides that like I'm not going to talk about this in an open cancel session. I'm going to send it as an email like the one, this is the one time that that email should have been a meeting yeah Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, that's the title of this episode <laughs> this email should have been a meeting no I, I get you I'm gonna like no, slip this in and then I'm gonna like drag my heels on it and like obfuscate instead of like you know like okay we don't know how this really is supposed to work because they're like Winging it and JMS is apparently like has no interest in actually writing a political drama because fuck you, we can't have nice things, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, if this was actually if season five was actually the West Wing but space, I would be one to, like 1000% here for that.
2: Yeah. Uh, question What is the West Wing in space without using the word Trek?
0: Okay, it's obviously like. The, like, this is the West Wing in space, but it's also, like, it's decidedly, like, has none of the vibes of the West Wing, but yeah. it's a memory called Empire.
2: No. Well, yeah, obviously. I'm not talking about a book. I'm talking
0: about TV. Well, that, 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 doesn't, that exist doesn't exist because we can't have it. We can't have nice things. Okay. All right. That's fine. I mean, I mean, the closest thing we get to it is, I would say, like...
1: Avarasala in The Expanse.
2: I was going to say, certain certain parts of The Expanse. Certain ds yeah.
1: 9 stuff with the Bajor stuff, I would yeah.
2: say. God, can you imagine a TV show of a memory called Empire? Ugh, dare we dream.
0: But yeah, <laughs> it's it's thoroughly unambitious. I think yeah. that's its sim.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like the Drazi are, like, a large portion of the problem because, like, their whole political system is based off of, like, pulling scarves out of a vat, right? So, like, we know that this dude, who's the ambassador, has like negative five qualifications because he just pulled the ambassador scarf out of, of that. Well, no, you don't,
0: you don't get, you don't get. I don't think you get like political offices set like that. We know yeah, that the you leaders do. do. You do.
2: You, we know for a fact that's how it happens because one of the scarves has the leader,
1: green, the leader, the leader chef. jangle I, on do, it. Do we really? Like, I, I, I don't think that's like. No, that's how. That's how. Uh, that's how Ivanova becomes green leader. Well,
0: yeah, she becomes like green leader of the Grazi- Drazi of the station. But like, that's not how you like determine the ambassador. Like, because like, what happens when you have multiple leadership positions?
1: They each have. You, their, it's like, like, like Secret Santa.
0: Like, like, like. No, like, all i there. Have, is... have like there weren't like there wasn't like. Justin,
1: if
2: if Ivanova can go up and literally take the leader scarf off of a and put it on and be green leader. There is no lodge. There is no way that they vote on shit,
0: right? This no, but is there's probably
2: arbitrarily like- assigned by whoever happens to pick it up.
0: No, there's probably like some dude who, who, who like gets, gets elected keg or something or like makes himself keg or something, but it's just like,
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that it's just all secret Santa.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think secret Santa is the way to go here.
1: I feel like it's the Drazi ambassador who's always particularly, like, belligerent and unwilling to – because I think, like, if the Drazi weren't there, I think that Sheridan probably could have gotten, like, certainly the game and probably the Brakiri on board with, yeah. like, okay, let's, like, let cooler heads prevail and, like, let's, you know, listen yeah. to CSI B5. and But the Drazi is just like, no, somebody has violated our space. And taking our sash.
2: Yeah. I really want to talk about the opening of this episode. Oh, yeah. I want you to... I'm suggesting... I'm not saying you have to. But I'm suggesting you go back and re-watch the intro to this episode, muted, with the cl- closed captioning on, and then read it out loud with a German accent. <laughs> it reads in a very different but also the exact way it actually is. Lockley is a fucking Nazi. I've been on this before, but the way she's peevishly complaining about how annoying hunger strikes are? Yeah. And how she just casually brings in the secret police to deal with her to deal with her peaceful strikers? Knowing that these people are, that they are going to bring in these people who are going to drag them off to be executed and enslaved.
0: My, my literal notes for this are, hey, some interiority for Lockley. Oh, I hate it.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I hate this. And her biggest complaint is her biggest complaint in this whole thing is she's not sleeping enough. And she shouldn't have she shouldn't have bothered to take this job just because Sheridan asked because it's a hassle. The ethical concerns are not remotely a problem for her.
1: There are also some some wild other choices, like like how she's apparently doing calisthenics in her.
2: Oh, I have an explanation for
1: that. I mean, I have
0: a really easy explanation for that.
2: Yeah, she can't go to the gym because people will will fucking throw weights at her.
0: I mean, I also just like I don't like working out in front of other people. Yeah, they're,
2: they 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 clearly are making an effort to, to, to try and make you think that Lockley's hot by the end of the episode. Yeah. So I don't think it's that. Yeah. The the, the, the pajama appeal. Uh, no, I think it's that I my headcanon is that Lockley is so wildly unpopular that she legitimately cannot, like, work out in a, you know, be in a vulnerable position yeah. around people she doesn't know because someone will hit her with a dumbbell.
1: But also, like, why doesn't she have, like... Real gym equipment in her quarters, then, rather than like using her fucking coffee table.
2: Okay, so I I have a what do they call it on on um on explain the X Men?
0: Uh, no prize.
2: I have a no prize for that one. She's a ship captain on a spaceship. Weight matters. You don't bring a bunch of heavy weights into space. You work out with body weight, whatever's there. I could have seen her using like bands. That would have made sense to me. But I think it's probably just easier to do body weight exercises if you are in a small space and you don't have a lot of th- place to move around. You just move your body around. That's the best you got. That's my that's my no prize explanation for that one.
1: <laughs> I mean, honestly, it was just a excuse to have her be like half naked on camera. And it was yes, uncomfortable. Yes,
2: that's the actual explanation. Because yeah. they're like, oh yeah, we forgot. We have Lockley. We should probably try and do something memorable with her.
1: And then they're like, we're gonna their solution show her getting into bed naked.
2: Yeah, we're gonna th- their solution is make her talk Nazi talk while half naked, and we'll go you know half a dozen one six of the other and split the difference.
0: Do you want to know what my favorite part of this episode is that spoo was an important plot point. Yes, <laughs> this is this, this this like knocks it up like two points on my scale of just like oh. We got Spoo lore, which is the best lore. It's always the best lore. Yes, the the, the fact that, like, oh yeah, Narn like fresh Spoo, while the Centauri must have it aged and fermented. Man,
2: <laughs> what the f- high fuck did Londo think was going to happen when they realize it's Natat and he's like, nothing I can do, that's how it works around here, and Jakar's looking at him like, bitch, He's just like, look, I know we cuddle, but that doesn't buy you any slack here. Like, what? Honestly, I'm asking a real question. All all bits aside, they're good. They're friends now. They have gotten to be close, as close as those two characters can be. What the high fuck does Londo think is going to happen when he says? Oh, she's just going to have to rot here till I'm emperor. Okay. He doesn't
1: think. That's the it, thing. Yeah,
0: so this is this is the thing. like, is like-
2: Did he think that Jakar is going to let the Toth stay there a literal second longer than is absolutely necessary? I'm surprised Jakar didn't literally tear the chains out of the wall and beat the guard to death with them. That was what I was expecting. I remember the first time I saw this episode thinking that that, that we were going to get a replay of Jakar's famous chain busting scene. And then he was going to strangle the guard with his bare damn hands with them.
0: I mean, the answer is, is that like Londo is speak. Londo is speaking from a position of privilege. And this is like, he is not thinking he, the dude is not thinking about like what you can do to fix the problem. He's thinking yeah. about the situation that it is, which yeah. like that's well, The simple answer is that, um, the, the the method that they break Natoth out of is very fun though.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really summarized for me when Lando protests, like, but I didn't do anything, Jakar. And it's like mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Like you didn't even like think to question whether there was anybody back in those cells.
2: It never occurred to you to ask who else is here? Right. Like Besides Jakar. It didn't who else cross we...
1: his mind.
2: Yeah. I will say, though, that once he gets on board, credit to Londo. Like, once he, like, gets out of that loop of, like, there's nothing I can do, his solution is good. He comes yeah. up with a good solution. And that scene-
0: It's a hilarious solution. talking
2: to the woman, and she- I, I have so many notes on the scene. First, she is immediately on board with what's going on, what she thinks is going on in that room. She's like,
0: yeah,
2: Jakar and Londo at the same time. Hell yes. Okay, she's some, let's go. Yeah, she's looking at Jakar, she's like, yes. And she looks at Londo, she's like, power. Yeah, all right. And so, yeah, that's great. And then Jakar's like, it's animal magnetism, what? Like, I love that it's openly <laughs> acknowledged on this show that everybody <laughs> wants to tap Jakar. I love it. Um, and then there's the bit where she's like, oh, I've played this game with Emperor Cartagia. So now you have the now you have the mental picture of of Cartagia in her dress going through your head,
1: which I which I'm not a big fan of. Actually, I kind of could have done without that because I think that the association of cross dressing with Cartagia is not does not reflect well in the cross dressing. Yeah, it, it does. I, well,
2: yeah, I get what you mean, and I, I do think it is the way it was intended. Is meant to be villainizing the mm-hmm. cross-dressing. Yeah, I yeah, I definitely got that. I think there's also certain. Let me put it this way: there's no way that Londo's never worn a dress. Like, I definitely think that for the Centauri, like no sexual escapade is off limits. So, I I don't think for the Centauri, yeah, it would be it would be like that. But the way that it's written in the episode and the way that it's played. In the TV show, it certainly is played villain, like to make to sort of play up his deviancy. Yeah, and yeah. that's that, not a a great look.
1: Um, like it would have been, I would have loved it to be like that. She played that game with Jono or something.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would have been good. Yeah. Right. Like,
1: like that. You know, you could pull another Centauri name that we've just had, and yeah. um, is familiar. That's not Katasha.
2: Yeah, and then. Yeah, I agreed. But I, I, and I love that she immediately starts to strip for for Jakar too. But the solution is good, and I also love that uh, Natoth, poor Natoth, is just horrified by having to be leched on by uh, Londo. And Londo's solution, I love Londo's solution that if you be embarrassing enough, people will not look at you.
1: Yeah, make enough of a scene, and people won't question it.
2: Yeah. Other than that, that one, the the Cartagian address bit, I think the whole thing is terrific and just plays just fantastic. It's my favorite part of the whole episode. Is the anything with Londo and Jakar in the same scene in yeah. this episode?
1: And I, I do love how the the woman who is you know giving up the dress um, is like you know that like without any judgment, she's just like. But we're not the same size.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she has not cottoned on that there's anything nefarious going on. She's just very like. Helpfully She's like concerned for that. Pointing dress. out, yeah, it's yeah, delightful. like you're not gonna fit into the dress, like you know. God, It's so good.
1: Would you? Would you like a dress that you would fit into, buddy?
2: <laughs> yeah, man. Why aren't we? Well, because he's making remaking it. I'm just saying they should have. We really should have been brought in to remake this show to make sure that there's enough of Londo in a dress. Yeah, I'm just saying.
0: We're gonna we're gonna start bringing this home now. Um, I would like to talk about the the thing that I prefer to be the last thing of the episode. Like, yeah, there's the Bloodhound units arriving, but this episode definitely ends with, Lon, with Londo with Lando trying to ask Jakarta dinner so they can fuck. Yeah, that was my interpretation. <laughs> like, like this, like that is the exact vibe I'm seeing. There is like. Londo's just like, hey, how you doing? And Jakar's just like, I'm not hungry. I'm, 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 I've I'm got a headache tonight. That is, <laughs> a, that is the exact vibe they have. It's just like, uh, I'm not into it. I need to, like, you know, we, we had, like, the daring rescue was fun, but I need to, like, ruminate for a little bit and brood. Yeah.
1: Once he got on board with like the fact that they needed to do a plan, that they needed to take action and do something, you know, under the radar, et cetera, it really reminded me of Londo from season one, um, when they first go to the planet.
2: Yeah, yeah, same same energy, the same for energy, sure.
1: uh, and that was really that was really fun. And I feel like, um, I mean, Lando, that's exactly what Lando is referencing at the end. Honestly, there is like being like like, holy shit, like, actually doing something that was really fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's definitely like, big, you know, you know, Yeah. Let, let's go to dinner and then bang, energy. Yeah. All, all in
2: all, I thought this episode, the, both these episodes were wildly fucking inconsistent. Uh, but as always, anytime there's Jakar, thumbs up. The telepath stuff is infuriating, but depending on how you interpret these things, may good. I don't know. We'll see. I don't think that I'm supposed to hate Sheridan as much as I do in these episodes. I will say in 2022, the telepath stuff probably plays worse than it did in
1: 1996. Yeah. yeah.
0: I would be interested to see, like if you are somebody who legit watches 1996 and like had, had like sincere thoughts about how the telepath telepath plot was handled like just just text just like text me and tell me like your detailed thoughts on this because i'm just like <laughs> yeah. i i want to know what you thought at the time because i'm like i i definitely like coming to this and i'm just like this is weak um but yeah. I pro- but i you know probably the same thing but or probably probably thought something similar of like something at the same age like probably thought bet yeah no, sorry, gotta rephrase that. I probably thought better of some stuff that hasn't aged as well when I saw it in nineteen ninety six, but I'm curious. If you're yeah, watching I'm it at the time, too. tell me. Uh, it's at Justin Wrights on Twitter if you want to go through there. Alright. Well, this was a hoot. Yeah. Um Thanks guys.
1: I think yeah. between between the two of them we have one good episode worth of yeah. content.
0: Yeah, thereabouts uh, if you
1: just cut out everything that's not on Centauri Prime.
2: Yeah, the, the Londo and Jakar horny fun hour.
1: Yeah,
0: there we go. Next time, we are going to be covering episodes 11 and 12. Those are Phoenix Rising and The Jagged Edge.
2: That sounds fine. Neither of those are ominous titles. Yeah,
0: until next is, time. Be is seeing is you. Alanis Morissette going to join us? <laughs> Boo. Until next time, be seeing you. Okay, and because I said I was gonna do this, um, hello. I've got the cable strike file here. I'm gonna uh, just gonna go for the pure camp. Play the game with me one last time, mirror friend. Run through time with me and race against the repetition of sins we've endured and caused over and over again. See my reflection, mirror foe. Look at your face staring at you with scarves with scars carved in pain and hopelessness. Sneer as the glint of metal catches your eye, and ask yourself what you are fighting for. Humanity? Mutants? Tomorrow? Today? All illusions, as you of all people know. There is nothing to be gained by fighting. Your future is past. Your past is immutable. There is only hatred to fuel us. Hatred to consume us. Hatred to engulf us. Walk in the fire with me, Nathan. Let us burn together. There we go. Have that for an outtake, Xathras.